Alright, you're listening to Dauber Prospects Radio. Usually this is Paul Zwambeck introducing the show for you, but uh, we have some uh, some huge show news to bring you up to speed on. Uh, we'd like to say uh, congratulations to Paul first um, for all the hard work he's put into the show, uh, to the Dauber Prospects site, and, uh, and everything he's done for us. Uh, but uh, unfortunately for us, and luckily for Paul, he's uh, been... He was received an offer he couldn't refuse from his employer. Uh, it was a, a promotion and, and whatnot, and it, it took away all, any of the spare time he had available to dedicate to the show. So Paul's got to leave us, unfortunately. Um, so that left me without a co-host. So I was at the dilemma of, is this a show that, uh, is it going to survive the loss of Paul? Uh, can I do it on my own? Or do I go out and get myself um, a new co-host? So... Um, Again, thanks to Paul for everything he did for the show. It wouldn't have happened at all without him. He was instrumental in getting it started. But as they say, the show must go on. And uh, I don't think anyone wants to listen to me ramble on for 45 minutes to an hour an episode. So I have gone out and found myself a new co-host I'd like to introduce at this time. Uh, Mr. Ainsley Scott will be the new co-host of Dog Prospects Radio. You might know Ainsley from the show such shows as uh, Hockey Prospect Radio, which we talk about all the time. Uh, Ainsley's been a guest on this very show previously last season, leading into the World Juniors, and he's the producer and co-host of Sportsnet Tonight 650, 650 Vancouver Radio with Dan Riccio. Ainsley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Peter, and hello to everybody in Dauber Prospects land. Uh, it's good to get reacquainted with you all, and I'm excited about this opportunity, and most importantly, I hope to live up to the standard that was set by Paul before me, and I'm, I'm happy for Paul. That's uh, great news on a personal level for him. And and Peter and I are good friends, uh, old friends, so this is nice to reacquaint. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to sit down once a week or once every couple of weeks with Peter and talk about something that I love, he loves, and obviously you love if you're listening to this. And Let's just talk prospects. Let's talk fantasy sports. Let's try and figure out how you're going to win your league because I'm trying to figure out how to win my league. So let's do it together. Yeah, I have to admit, it's a guilty pleasure doing this show and, and working for Dauber Prospects because, you know, I'm, I'm, it gives me a really, really extra motivation to do research for my hockey pools. And I think it gives me uh, an advantage. Um, so I hope it gives you, uh, the listener and the readers of Dauber Prospects, an advantage too. Another thing I'm excited about is as Ainsley and I have been brainstorming a little bit about not reinventing the show, but maybe kind of this would be a good opportunity to introduce some new features to the show. And uh, the first feature that we're going to start with this particular episode is um, the spotlight features. Every episode we're going to be doing a spotlight on a uh, NHL draft eligible player and an NHL drafted prospect, uh, sort of a prospect you might need to know feature so those will be in addition to everything that we've already been been doing uh the three segment shows including a guest speaking of the guests uh i'm excited uh, about tonight's guest we'll be talking to uh one of my favorite writers brock otten uh ohl prospects blog writer he's a tremendous tremendous 
source for OHL prospect scouting information and news. If uh, if you're unfamiliar with him, check out the show notes. There'll be a, a link to his his blog. It's uh, it's it's must read material, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about some players from the O. But for segment number one, Ainsley, let's talk about some uh, what's been happening in in the prospect world and and how it relates to fantasy hockey. Oh, absolutely! It's been a busy couple of weeks uh, as well. I think since the last time you did your show, um, this show, I should say, our show, I guess, is the way to say that now. Uh, yeah, I, the big one for me, obviously, was what happened with the Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris transaction, just for a number of different reasons. One is that I've talked ad nauseum on radio already and television, but the quantity of assets and the quality of assets that went back to... The Colorado Avalanche is significant in my opinion, and and it's going to change how those young players, specifically Samuel Girard, Vladislav Kamenev, and Shane Bowers, are going to fit into their development timeline, which is going to be different from the organizations that they were coming from. Yeah, the interesting timing with the trade too. On the side, I also do uh, top ten prospect rankings for my NHL trade rumors. And the next team I had up to do, and I was a little bit behind on, uh, was the Colorado Avalanche. So it's almost like a blessing in disguise that I procrastinated on the Avalanche's top ten because they just got an influx of, of at least three more players into their top ten, into the guys that you just mentioned. It, not only that, but um, you know they, they got another first round pick out of the centers it's it's lottery protected so it's it's either the 2018 or 19 draft but when you compare what they got for duchene and what edmonton got for taylor hall um <clears throat> i would agree i would say it's it's a very significant haul two first round picks with bowers and and the 18th pick uh an elite cornerstone offensive defenseman in samuel gerard it gives them an embarrassment of riches on the blue line and they already have kale mccarr uh, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Maloche, so that really insulates their blue line in the future going forward. And, uh, you know, they've got some great center depth youth and prospects from McKinnon to, to Yost to Comfer. And so now you add another strong uh, forward on the wing, really, really solidifies their, their depth and gives them a good young core. Um, I don't really like the outlook on, of their fantasy options this season, but uh, in the near future, things are starting to look a lot brighter in Colorado, are they not? Yeah, they are, and it, it's a matter of when you start looking at opportunity. So uh, I would look at a player like Samuel Gerard first. Now, he's a high-end offensive blue liner. He's a little undersized, but he is already NHL game-ready as far as his talent goes. So it's a question of whether or not he can uh, he can defend against bigger forwards, whether or not he can play at the speed and at the physicality that he's going to in the NHL. But when you start to add him to a Kale McCarr, a Nick Maloche, when you start looking at, you know, Andre Mironov, who they've got there as well to uh, Kyle Wood. Now they had lost Will Butcher, which was a big blow to their system to not be able to get him because he's stepped into the NHL as we've seen right away. But they're starting to get that new look defense core that can move the puck very quickly put up a lot of points and produce offense from the back end to try and support their forwards rather than have the traditional shutdown guys. And because of the way they had been um, drafting in years prior, not getting a lot of defensemen who translated, Tyson Berry being the one exception to the rule recently, uh, Kevin Shattenkirk would have been the other one. But 
this creates an opportunity where Samuel Gerard may step into a high offensive producing role with support, with a Kale McCarr, with an Eric Johnson, with um, Tyson Berry, and they may be able to put up some points there. So he may actually be an immediate uh, fantasy option and a good one. So he, he may become a 30 to 40 point player much faster than people can imagine. And then as far as Vladis has Kamenev, Kamenev's not going to come up right away, but he will be up this year. And whether or not he shifts in to play center on a third line role or a top six wing role, this is a player who's got a little bit of grit. He's got opportunistic scoring. Uh, he's a very competitive player. And as long as he decides to stick on this side of the of the ice, um, rather than go back to the KHL, he is going to be a very legitimate option for them. And he's proven already in the AHL, he's a good playoff player. So he's a role player. He's going to contribute in multiple different categories, not just in points. I could talk about this, these three players and the impact for about an hour. Um, it's very interesting. I'm not sure how many games played Samuel Gerard's at right now. I'm pretty sure he's still under the nine games played. So it's yet to be determined if Colorado is going to, going to determine if he's going to stick around for the NHL. I thought he was in a much better situation in Nashville and that they've got a lot more NHL caliber quality defensemen on the roster. So he could have been insulated. He could have played out of the top four and uh, stuck around and learned from a guy like Ryan Ellis when he comes back because they're very comparable players. They're they're highly skilled offensive players uh, and they're undersized. But Ryan Ellis has really carved out a niche for himself in the NHL and is a role model for players like that because he's he's not a liability defensively despite his size. He's learned how to, to play within his frame. Uh, his skating is excellent, just like Gerard's. Um, and he, he might be short, but he's he's not weak. He's a strong player. He's got strong legs. And he's, his, his ability to read the play and time it with a, a good stick check or, or body check where he's able to, to hit a player when he's off stride and increases the impact of the hit and knocks the player off balance, which, I mean, you don't, when, you, when you're body checking someone, the point isn't to crush them necessarily. It's just to separate the man from the puck, and, and Ryan Ellis says that real well. So I thought he was an excellent role model for Gerard. Do you think he stays um, with Colorado this year for sure? Right now, he's at seven games played, so he's still got um, the three games before it becomes official that he's uh, burnt that first year off his ELC. Now, the the thing is, is that in most circumstances, I would agree with you that it would have been better to be um, sheltered a little bit more, to have uh, a slower transition into the NHL, except even in Nashville with the depth that they have, albeit with injuries, Samuel Gerard showed a lot in camp. Uh, in Traverse City and then early in the preseason that they decided they wanted to keep him, which is very unusual for a 19-year-old defenseman uh, in his D-plus-2 year. Um, But I think that the opportunity and the ice time that he's going to get is going to be so much more accelerated in Colorado. Now, whether that's better for his long-term development, I can't say for sure, uh, but certainly his shorter-term production is going to go up, even with a lower scoring team, a team that has more struggles in Colorado than he has in Nashville. So I actually think on a fantasy level, this is a plus for Samuel Gerard. All right. Another interesting thing with uh, the prospects and uh, Colorado and, and Kamenev in particular, 
is uh, he's he's an AHL player this year, and uh, he's uh, the St. Louis Blues, and um, I believe it's Colorado share an NHL AHL affiliate in San Antonio. They got some some high end prospects there. With when you look at who St. Louis has and, and Tage Thompson and and whatnot, uh, is is he gonna? Is that going to hinder his ice time? Because you've got two teams worth of top prospects on one roster. Yeah, it's a, definitely a fair question to ask uh, in the AHL. Um, they have depth there, and they've got some veterans as well there who, because of the uh, the veteran rule in the AHL, uh, about the, the maximum they can have. Now, I I don't anticipate, even though he's only 21 years old, I don't ex- anticipate that Kamenev is going to be down for much longer. Uh, so I think that he'll come up to Colorado in a very short amount of time, and now the question of whether or not he can stick and produce is going to be another question. Uh, but I do think that uh, for on that team in the AHL in San Antonio, having um, Kamenev come in, who's been in North America for a couple years now, to be with Klim Kostin, who's still adjusting, uh, to have another Russian, another uh, countryman, is probably going to benefit both of them. Right, right. I, I, you know, if... Colorado is unhappy with the playing time he's getting in San Antonio, that that might actually expedite his transition to the NHL. They might say, look, if you're not getting top six minutes in the A, what are you doing there? Come on up. Play with practice with the team. You know, it's the Black Aces is the playoff thing, but that would kind of almost be like what they want him to do. Like, get a taste of the pro life, play practice with the team. We'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out. Let's, let's move on and let's talk about some more trades. Uh, it's been a uh, it's been a busy couple weeks for trades. Um, not so much in the NHL, but there were two trades in the CHL, one in the Q and one in the dub. So in the Q, we saw an exchange of uh, Russian import players, uh, most notable being German Rubstov going from Shakutami to the Akadi Bathurst Titans in exchange for Vladimir Kuznetsov and some other pieces. Um, so obviously the big player in this is Philadelphia Flyers prospect uh, Rubstov. He goes... Um, to a team where I think he's in a better situation to have a, a promising season. Uh, and Kuznetsov is a player who's passed through two drafts now. And uh, I guess the knock on him would be his skating, but he's a, sort of a power forward. He's got good size and uh, he can score some goals. Uh, what's, what's your take on the trade, Ainsley? What do you think about it? There were a couple things that occurred to me uh, right off the bat. One is that the acquiring team uh, for Rubsov is a Katie Bathurst, and that is coached by Sean Couturier's dad, uh, who is also a Philadelphia Flyers prospect. Not prospect at this point, but he's a young player on their team. Now, I thought that was interesting because it allows a little bit of a transition there into the Philadelphia Flyers organization even before uh, he moves on to either the AHL or the NHL. For Rubsov, I think it's very good because the more ice time, higher profile in the playoffs, I think is going to be better for him. I think that um, he's a player who is got a very NHL style game, which is he's very gritty. Uh, he moves the puck very well. He sees the puck very well. And and going to Sean Couturier's, to be coached by Sean Couturier's dad, actually I see as being a very big plus. Now, to draw some comparisons there, Sean Couturier was a high-end offensive player in junior in the queue. Uh, he 
went to the NHL, got pegged a little bit as a defensive forward this year, is starting for the first time in his life to actually see high-end offensive minutes playing with uh, um, Drew and and Jake Voracek. Uh, and he's been able to be, they're one of the better lines in the league. So there might be a good learning opportunity for a guy like Rubsov that says, hey, listen, work on the details of your game now in the Q8 queue. When you get into the NHL, you may be put into a checking role as a third line or fourth line center, but stick with it, do that, uh, and then you'll see where you're going to be two or three years down the line, just like Sean Couturier was. As far as Vladimir Kuznetsov goes, um, he is a bit of an enigma wrapped in a riddle nestled in a sesame seed bun. He uh, has very good skills. He can shoot the puck really, really well. He's a big body, but he's not very physically engaged. Uh, and he looks like one of those players that is a very good, productive player in the queue. Um, but what his long-term prospects are as an NHL-level prospect or as a pro-level prospect, I think is still yet to be decided. The simple fact that he's known to be able to be to produce at the junior level there's something that every team in the NHL sees that they're not happy with, whether that be on a physical, psychological, or skill level uh, that they don't like about him, whether it be the skating, whether it just be his lack of physical engagement, um, his battle level. I think those are all real questions. Uh, but I think uh, as far as the actual trade goes, this is a very good opportunity for German Rubsov. I think they're one of the the interesting parts about this is that they paid a very high price to get him and there's still a potential because he's on loan that this is a rental for Katie Bathurst because he could either be in the AHL or the NHL next year. Yeah, yeah. I I would not be surprised if Rubstov graduated after this being a, a, you know, moving on from from the queue after the season. Another interesting note on Kuznetsov is he was the first overall uh, pick in the 2015 CHL import draft, and since then he's been passed over in the NHL draft two times. Uh, so the other trade, let's move on to the West. Let's talk about Cale um, Fleury. Uh, he was traded from Kootenai to Regina, so he'll be playing for the Memorial Cup this year one way or another, and he went for a couple of prospects who I'm going to have to... Uh, to lean on you for some insight on these guys. I, I can be honest, I don't know too much about 18-year-old defenseman Jonathan Smart and 16-year-old forward Cole Muir. Um, this is obviously a trade for futures for Kootenai and a, and a try to win now for Regina. Um, this will certainly help uh, Kale Fleury's uh, pedigree coming out of junior uh, as he looks to his NHL uh, future. What's your take, Ainsley? Uh, I thought it was an interesting trade on a, on a number of levels. One is that uh, Regina has not only had a bunch of injuries this year, but they lost uh, some players off of their roster last year that graduated up, um, specifically on that defense with Connor Hobbs being a big loss for them. Um, and then losing Adam Brooks as well, too, was a big blow to their offense. So Jonathan Smart was a defenseman who was expected to be a big part of that um uh, resurgence for them. He's a bit of a, he's a good puck moving defenseman. Uh, he's not uh, shrinking violet, so he does actually get physically involved. And I like the way he sees the ice. He transitions the puck very well. Um, so he, I think that he was actually expected to be a big piece in in sort of the rebuild of Regina as they remained trying to be competitive. But it is very clearly shows that they wanted to be all in this year. Uh, that they were going to, um, you know, to try and get Kale Flurry, who's a guy who's 
got, you know, a lot of uh, physical tools. He's not necessarily um, the most dynamic player, but he's a very good support player. He can play on the power play, uh, and he can shoot the puck. Uh, so I think for Regina, it's a very good pickup to get a guy who's got a little bit more veteran pedigree, who is the captain of the Kootenai Ice, um, and as well as was in many circles, I think, overlooked because of the quality of how bad the ice have been. So Kale Fleury was a minus... 40 something I don't know it was something terrible the year before but um but you can't really look at that and say well it's indicative of this guy's play he's actually a very good defenseman uh he skates well enough and like I say he can shoot the puck so uh, he's going to be a power play option to them uh and they just must have felt that on Regina's side he was that much further advanced in his development level than Smart was going to be but for the Kootenai Ice who are not competitive this year uh that's a good pickup for them as far as Kale Muir goes uh, he is uh, an unknown commodity to me as well, too. Sixteen-year-old kid, so you know that's very, very young. Um, and we'll see where he transitions in both this year and next year, leading up to the draft. Yeah, Fleury was minus sixty-one last year. There you go. As you said, yeah, Kootenay really couldn't really poop the bed. Uh, so watching his plus-minus will be really interesting to see how that number turns around. He's a minus six this year in seventeen games, and he's got ten points, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so yeah, this, this should be very good for, for his development. Uh, and we'll keep an eye on that. Fantasy owners must be pleased. Now, um, not exactly trades, but transactions nonetheless. A couple more bits of news and notes before we get too far onto the show here. A couple of players have, uh, fallen victim to the Russian factor. New York Rangers prospect Alexei uh, Barry Glazov. I'm terrible with Russian names, though, so I'm pronouncing that wrong. Don't make fun of me. Uh, he uh, he's come over to North America this year, and he was uh, middling in the AHL with little success. Uh, and he's been loaned back to the KHL uh, and signed a, a multi-year contract over there. So at this point, it looks to me like his NHL and fantasy value is. It's all but gone. He's bottomed out. The Russian factor has hit hard. If I were uh, an Alexei Berezglazov owner, I would be. Uh, I'd be trying to trade him, and if I can't, I just, I just cut bait. I just drop him. Uh, do you see it any differently? Do you think there's any chance that he still has as, as relevance and value? He wouldn't be somebody that I'd be building on. That's uh, a big red flag. It, it's a, um, it's an unfortunate uh, aspect. There are arguments that the Rangers have not been very good about developing some of their players. Some of that you could ascribe to what the, how the Rangers have handled that. Um, they have let certain draft picks go and they haven't developed them very well over the last couple of years. So uh, there could be some argument there. I just think that once you bring in the returning to Russia, uh, it's not worth holding on to them for the two or three years or, you know, it doesn't matter how deep your keeper league is uh, at that level for that risk you can find somebody else to replace them on your roster. Yeah, the Rangers have some interesting defensive prospects. None of them are, like, terribly exciting. They have Sean Day, who's uh, the uh, exceptional status OHL player. He's gone back to the O this year for what will be his fifth year, I I believe. Uh, Neil Pionk, um, Minnesota Duluth, NCAA, college free agent signing. Ryan Graves, who I own in one of my leagues. I'm kind of a fan of him. Um... They did let Ryan Mantha go, and Edmonton picked him up, so he was a guy that was in their system before. Sergei Zabrowski is a guy who was, again, from that Regina Pats team um, that we were just talking about, who's also left, and he's gone pro now as well, too. 
Uh, so there, you know, there are some pro level prospects in their system. I'm a big fan of Tarmo Reunanen, who was uh, taken in the fourth round in 2016. Yeah, he's a Finnish defenseman, moves the puck very, very well. Um, but when you start looking at the value of Beres Galov and and Reunin, and I would rather stick, you know, the guy who has yet to come over and sort of given up on that in Reunin than I would sort of holding on to an older guy in Beres Galov. Yeah, and, and don't forget they also have Anthony D'Angelo, whose fantasy stock is, is plummeting by the day as well because he just can't play defense. So the other player who uh, has, has defected to Russia, uh, has gone from the Prince George Cougars to CSKA Moscow, is Nikita Papagayev. So this time last year, uh, we were looking, he was a draft-eligible prospect, and we were looking at him, and he was, he was scoring at a pretty significant pace in the dub before he got traded to Prince George. And, and after the trade, his, his offense really bottomed out he went from being i think he was almost a point of game player or close to it to half of the production that he'd been producing before the trade um that status didn't really change going into the season he was still struggling compared to his first half last year and now he's he's, he he dropped down in the the draft rankings a lot of people were looking him at as as a first round candidate for the 2017 draft uh he was not and uh, and now he's gone off to Russia. So, I mean, it, I, in my opinion, his stock went down after the trade. It went down after the draft. Now it's taken a huge hit again. Uh, I'm not sure what his contract status is uh, with CSKA, but uh, is this the same thing as Beres Galov? Is, is, is he uh, time to pull cut bait with this guy? Uh, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Uh, yeah. now I didn't mind the idea of New Jersey going after him in the fourth round because, uh, I don't know if the listeners know this. I'm, I'm located out in British Columbia, so I get to see quite a bit of the WHL. So I'm very familiar with Papagayev's game, um, where he, you know, he was playing, uh, with, um, with PG last year and he finished up the year and with Moose Jaw prior to that. So I've seen a lot of the, him in the WHL. Now this is a guy who had the first round skill there's absolutely no doubt he's got the he's got the size he protects the puck he shoots the puck he can pass the puck but he's just a lazy player uh both mentally and physically uh there was a very good reason why he dropped there's some really really bad parts of his game he doesn't look engaged for 90 percent of his shifts um until he gets on the power play and then he does some things so uh with papagayev i would say i would just stay away from him 100 percent the skills all there, unless you're in one of those deep, deep, deep keeper leagues where you can sign him to a three-year deal and sit on him, and and you've got the the roster space or wh- however it is you do your your pool. Uh, I would I wouldn't touch him at all. Sell, sell, sell. All right, this section is going a little long. Let's wrap it up uh, kind of quickly here. A uh, couple more bits of of tidbits. Uh, last episode, Paul and I did uh, stay or nay. We talked about some players and whether or not we thought they'd stay or go back to junior. Since then, we've seen the return of Owen Tippett, Logan Brown, and Kyler Yamamoto uh, all get sent back to their junior teams. As far as I'm concerned, there's no surprise there with any of those players. Uh, were you shocked by any of those developments? No, not really. The one exception was uh, Kyler Yamamoto. I thought there was an opportunity that he could click very quickly and they could they could uh, keep him. Now, that would have been extremely unlikely just because of his size and age. Uh, and where Edmonton figures that they would be in their development path. Um, so no, I'm not. I'm not overly shocked by 
by that going down. I just thought there was an opportunity where he might be one of those guys that they could keep for 30 or 35 games and not hit that 40 game mark where then they lose another year of, uh, of, um, restricted free agent status with him. Uh, and then just see, and then send him back, but it's probably better for his development. Now, Logan Brown is a little bit of an interesting one because they had had some injuries in Ottawa coming into the season. Derek Brassard's, um, shoulder was a little bit wonky and then, you know, they, they really weren't sure. But now with the acquisition of, uh, of Matt Duchesne, even with tourists going, uh, it kind of like solidifies what they're going to do there on defense. And I think he was almost ready to be able to play a regular shift in the NHL. One more year is not going to hurt him. Uh, even, you know, one more year, another 40 games of the age of the AHL next year. And then coming up, I think that's probably, uh, correct. So no, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, the plan with all three of these players and the, the teams that own them was they, they see them being NHL players and in the near future. So give them, uh, give them a cup of coffee, give them a, a, a glimpse of what it is to be in the NHL, kind of wet their whistle and then send them back to junior and, and tell them, you know, these are the things in your game you need to work on. Go back and have fun and dominate in junior. Win yourself a, a world junior gold medal, and we'll see you, we'll see you in the summer. Two other players I think we need to hit on. Uh, Maxime Fortier is a player uh, who has been passed over in the NHL draft uh, twice as well. Uh, he's a player with the Halifax Mooseheads, and uh, I was pretty confident that he was going to get drafted in Chicago and he wasn't uh that made him available to sign as a free agent and Yarmulkekalainen and the Columbus Blue Jackets did just that he's only two percent owned on fan tracks so the reaction to picking up Forche in your fantasy leagues has been slow I'm one of the two percent he's uh I, I wrote about him in, in the Dr. Prospect report for the uh, draft eligible players because I, I I was certain that he was going to get picked he had 77 points uh two years ago when he was passed over in his first draft and he had 87 points in the queue last year. Um, this year he's rocking 28 points in 20 games with 13 goals. He's 19 years old. He's a little undersized at 5'10", 183. Uh, so he had a great chemistry season last year with Nico Heischer. And that's part of the reason why I thought he was going to be drafted because there's going to be lots of scouts at Halifax games watching Heischer and Forche played on the same line. Uh, what I saw from him was he's a very uh, speedy scoring winger. He's got real quick, busy feet. Uh, he's like a water bug out there. He hustles around the ice. He's a relentless four-checker. Uh, he's a threat to score shorthanded. He's had back-to-back 30-goal seasons now. He's got a high hockey IQ and a vision. kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Pascal LeBurge. Um, were you surprised at all that he was undrafted? Or were you surprised, if not, were you surprised that he was signed as a free agent? I was very surprised he wasn't drafted. I'm uh, not at all surprised that he was signed as a free agent. I think that was only a matter of time and uh, shows some savvy work by Jarmo Kekalainen uh, to um, supplement the good drafts that they've already had and the players that they've had. And uh, it, It's uh, one of those moves that when you can go out and get a free agent signing like this, whether they be from NCAA, whether they be from Europe, whether they be from the CHL, when you can get one of these players and you can sign them and add them to your prospect pool, it just adds that much more flexibility to be able to move a pick, say, this year for something else that they want. Uh, it's one asset in, one asset out. So, nope, not surprised he wasn't signed. I was very, very surprised that nobody took a seventh on him. Um, I think that there was a little bit of that familiarity bias and, and people were a little bit too sure with him. And maybe there's more to the story that we don't know. But, yeah, this is a kid worth taking a flyer on for sure. 
Yep. Okay. And last but not least for this segment, the CHL announced the player of this week is Alexi Heponiemi of the Swift Current Broncos. He is a Florida Panthers prospect. He was picked up uh, in Chicago in 2017. He's only 10% owned in Fantrax leagues. So if you have uh, prospects in a dynasty league, uh, he's certainly a player you might want to look at. He's had his third five-point game this season. Let me say that again. He's had three five-point games already this season. He's got nine points in his last two games. And for the season, he's got 46 points already in 17 games. He's got 14 goals. Uh, he's a little undersized at 5'10", 184. He's very uh, undersized. But, yeah, but so is Kyler Yamamoto. Yep, nope, I mean, I'm quite, just saying. Quite, quite frankly, that's not, that's not really an issue anymore in the NHL, I don't think. Decreasing, um, decreasing levels, for sure. Um, I know some people that I've spoken to, uh, especially from the Florida Panthers um, organization who drafted him, who are very high on him and very high on his underlying numbers as well, too, that he was, uh, he's a guy who would produce uh, in every situation. So they had somewhat predicted that he was going to be one of these guys, like they had the year before with Henrik Borgstrom, uh, to produce so much. I don't think anybody, including the Phoenix Coyotes, um, with their or Arizona Coyotes with Tyler Steenburgen could have seen that level of production. Uh, it's insane what they're doing right now. It's almost a three-point-a-game pace. So Alexi Heponiemi, yeah, I would take a chance on him if he hasn't already taken your pool. Most people would have, I think. If you have prospects uh, and you can sit on them for a couple of years, absolutely. Uh, what's your uh, ETA on, on Haponiemi? I think he's going to probably have at least another year of junior uh, and then probably some, some pro adjustment time before he's ready to contribute to your fantasy league. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he wasn't a player that I was super high on. Um, even at the second, I, second round where he was taken, I, I would have had him less. Uh, there's parts of his game that uh, I think he's producing these points uh, that are not really translatable. He was a very perimeter player in his draft year last year, very much a um, power play specialist type of player. But hey, those guys have a place uh, anyway. Uh, and what it did is it showed that he had enough uh, skill and, and hockey sense to be able to stay in the league, to, to be able to refine his game as well too, which it looks like he's doing quite a bit of this year. And he's got natural chemistry so with him. So with Glenn Godden and Tyler Steenburgen. So I would have um, expected that he was going to be a prospect a little bit later than this. Uh, I would say that his time frame is uh, probably going to be in that Oliver Bjorkstrand type of uh, development model, which is going to do his full two years of junior um, after his draft year, and then probably a year and a half in the AHL uh, building up strength before he's uh, ready to go. So I think he's still probably about three years away. Final thought for this segment, Angel, you and I had a conversation on the draft floor about uh, Kyle Yamamoto. We were both stoked about the, the the prospect of him playing in Edmonton with Connor McDavid, and we were like, man, looking at our chops, thinking in five years, these two are going to be dynamite. I think we might want to reset our forecast on that five years and, and maybe knock it down by about four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about four, but there's certainly an opportunity there where I, I like, I thought there was a chance that he could have been an in and out of the lineup type of guy this year, you know, play six minutes, one night, play 15 minutes, the next night kind of thing as you get adjusted to the, the speed and the amount of reps that they have to do uh, in the NHL. 
Uh, yeah, let's say not even next year will be a 40-goal scorer, but a really good chance of the year afterwards he will be. Good stuff. All right, let's take a little musical interlude, and when we come back, we're going to do our draft spotlight. We'll be right back. All right, it's Dauber Prospects Radio, Peter Harling and Andy Scott with you, and now we're going to do our first installment of Draft Spotlight. And we're going to start right at the top of the draft and uh, and get into it with Rasmus Dahlin. He's uh, not the consensus number one, but uh, widely considered the top-ranked pick in the upcoming 2018 draft. I had a chance to see him play live at some World Junior uh, Exhibition Games in my neck of the woods last year and was thoroughly impressed with him as a 16-year-old. Watched him play in the World Juniors and in a couple international tournaments since then. And this kid is just a dynamic player. And the way the NHL is trending uh, with defensemen and the emphasis on quality defense that can create transition and skate, uh, it's easy to see why he's such a highly coveted prospect he's got the size he's got the skating he's got the skill the smarts um and when you watch the highlight reel of him he's, it's like watching bobby Orr highlights he's just skating through guys making them look like they're standing still because his anticipation is just exceptional it's like he's got spidey sense and he knows when to when to juke and when to jive um ainsley what's what's your uh scouting reports for Darlene. Yeah, all of those things. Uh, the most impressive thing with Darlene is his ability to find seams in defenses when he breaks out, which is something that you don't see often from defensemen. Um, he can draw defenders to him. He can create space for his line mates. Now, what's key with Darlene is he's playing as a 17-year-old in the Swedish Hockey League against men. Uh, and normally when that happens, people are only playing a very few amount of minutes, either on a third pairing or even, a, even as a number seven, and they get into five, six, seven minutes a game because it is not a development league in the Swedish Hockey League. Saying that, he's absolutely dominating that league. Uh, he is the second highest scoring defenseman on his team. Uh, he will in, probably in no doubt take over that role uh, by the end of the year. Uh, he is physical for his size, and he will get stronger. Uh, the kid sees the ice exceptionally well. He transitions the puck. He skates extremely well. He's got a shot. Really, he uh, doesn't have a major flaw in his game. It's just a matter of refinement with a guy like Darlene. For me, he's if he's not the consensus number one pick, he's going to be really, really close to it. And you start looking at players uh, that can have that level of impact, and you start talking about Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty and, um, you know, not maybe as purely offensive as Carlson, but more of a hybrid type of player. And honestly, you can build a whole roster around that type of player. Yeah, it's, it's, I think he's going to be the first overall pick as, as well. And it's not very often that you see defensemen go number one. There's um, sort of a positional bias towards forwards, I would say, and centers in particular. And I get that. You, you build your team through the middle. Um, but I think uh, th- there's going to be a, a market value adjustment with uh, Darlene, and I think he's going to go first overall. And this is a, a draft-heavy D, as you'll 
you'll hear in our, our, our later episodes of Draft Spotlight, uh, the 2018 draft has got uh, a plethora of impact defensemen, and I think the top 10 of the uh, first round is going to be uh, heavy on D. Uh, so that's it for episode one of Draft Spotlight. Uh, you'll be able to listen to that on our next episodes and going forward. And next week we'll uh, we'll talk a little of Genny Svechnikov, the one player that's going to give Dalin competition for first overall. Welcome back to Dauber Prospects Radio. Now it's time to talk a little bit about the uh, CHL Canada-Russia series with a little bit of emphasis on uh, on the dub because, well, Ainsley's out west and he was able to take in a little bit of that. So let's uh, let's pick his brain on that. Ainsley, the first game I watched uh, was, was pretty good. I uh, didn't get to see the whole game, but uh, it was game one. And uh, the dub really stood out in that game. They pushed the pace of the play. Uh, Russia had some, some pushback with a couple breakaways. Carter Hart looked good, making some some key saves, I thought, on uh, some quick-strike offense opportunities by the Russians. Uh, what did you think of, uh, of Hart's game? Well, I'm a huge fan of Hart, as I think you're probably aware of. And, and in this game, he did just what he needed to do, uh, which was, you're right, that the Russians came out a little bit flat early in the first, uh, I would say, 30 minutes of the game. Uh, but then picked it up quite a bit towards the end. But they did have some of those fast breaks, and he did have to make some good saves. He didn't have to take a lot of um, uh, second like rebounds and second chances and, and that kind of thing, which he would have been okay with because he has excellent reflexes. Uh, so, uh, you know, Carter Hart, I think, in a, in a game like this, he, all he showed was that he was ready uh, for the, the World Junior Selection roster. He was going to make that team anyway. Um, so really, he was just, he was efficient, he was solid, he was confident, his normal self. I think he's got ice water in his veins, so, um, you know, he basically did what he needed to do. He's going to make that team, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a starter. Yeah, and that, that confidence seems to, to transcend into the, the skaters on his team as well. They have that confidence knowing that you know, even if they're dominating the game, the other team gets a breakaway and a scoring chance. If they score, it can be so deflating. Um, but you know, Hart just, Hart just makes that makes it safe. He does does what he needs to do back there. Uh, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about uh, Tyler Steenburgen from from Team WHL. He's uh, having a pretty decent season. We've talked yeah, not about bad. It a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we spoke about it a little bit briefly before when we when we were talked about his uh, his line mate there Hapon Yemi. Uh, how was his game? Did he look uh, just the same as he does playing in a in a regular season game, or did he look a little bit more uh, out of place or even better with insulated by better line mates? How, what was your take on Steenberg? Yeah, I think that um, when. I think he didn't look out of place, which is sort of the key thing for a guy who was a fifth-round pick last year who's being surrounded by guys who are 
first and second round picks a lot in the last two years and have a lot greater pedigree uh, known for them. But for coming in with a guy who's leading the WHL in goals by a large margin, 26 in 17 games or something like that. So he's on pace for 80 goals, which hasn't been seen in the WHL in a very, very long time. Um, no, I don't expect him to keep that up, but he, he played very well. Now he's not the fastest skater in the world. And so there was some issues there and he's not the most physical guy, but he did show that in a roster like this, he could play a complimentary scoring role. Um, and in that first game, he did get a goal. Uh, he didn't get one, uh, any points in the second game, which was a lot tighter checking. Uh, so I think he looked very good. Um, I don't think that it's going to be enough to necessarily put his way onto the WH or into the uh, World Junior roster uh, or even consideration. But you know what? He may have earned himself an invite because it's going to be hard to ignore the fact that he was able to play uh, with this level of competition and produce at least a goal in two games. It'd be interesting to see to, to follow his career. Uh, Arizona's got another player I think has is, is got a very similar uh, style. Like Connor Garland, he's also, you know, a prolific scorer, dominated the, the WHL, led the CHL in scoring, drafted by Arizona. He's also 5'10", and he's having difficulty translating his offense at, at the pro level. So we'll see how Steve Mergen does uh, with that moving forward for him. Uh, another player you want to talk about was uh, was Quenville. You said he had a, a great uh, tournament for the dub, two games. Uh, what, 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 did you, what did you like that you saw from Quenville? Yeah, David Quenville is a he's an interesting guy because he is an undersized defenseman. Um, he's not uh, big. He's only five nine. Uh, he was a little bit of a an afterthought in his draft year in uh, twenty sixteen. He only went in the seventh round, um, but he moves the puck extremely well. He what he did really well was uh, support the forwards uh, in the transition game um, with a high speed and high pace. He did get two goals in in two games in the series, um, but he looks much more comfortable now at this stage in his development to be an offensive driver from the back end um, and to be a guy who can be used on the power play and be used in multiple situations. And I think that that was very interesting um, to be able to see him in this role because if when we come back to uh, the World Juniors and a player like Samuel Girard, for example, is not available for them, there might have room for a guy like David Quenville to be the offensive uh, 6-7 guy that they can bring in when they decide they need to move the pace a little bit more. Um, I think he just showed really well, and I think that there was an there was a opportunity that he created for himself that, at least on this west side, uh, he's going to put himself into a conversation with names like uh, Kale Clegg and Jake Bean. Interesting. One more player I just thought about that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, forgot to mention to you before, but that's Matthew Phillips. Uh, he's having a really strong season in the dub with 37 points in 21 games. Uh, he's an undersized player, Calgary Flames draft pick. Um, what's your take on Phillips? I can't get enough of him. I think he's phenomenal. Uh, I did get to see him just this past weekend, um, and he didn't get any points, but he was his usual self, which is he's He's absolutely lethal. If you give him half a step, he'll be he'll blow past you, and he almost never uh, misses a breakaway. Now I say that he did in the one game uh, that I saw him most recently uh, live, but um, he has an he has unbelievable hockey sense. He can pass the puck, he can shoot the puck, and most importantly, he can get into those scoring areas. Even though he's very undersized, um, and if you leave him a back door. Uh, on the side of the net, it doesn't matter if if he's got the worst angle, he'll be able to put a good shot on net, and he scores a lot of those goals. 
he's just a pure offensive player um, who plays with speed and plays with pace and makes everybody around him better. And I don't know if he'll make the World Junior squad. I would like to see him be invited to camp because I think he's one of those guys that in in years past, Hockey Canada has sort of ignored because of his size, uh, especially on North American ice. But I think that hopefully Hockey Canada is learning as well too that they can have first-line guys on the fourth line and just outscore the opposition. Yeah, and you say he's undersized, and I'm of the belief that there's a, there's a huge difference between undersized and short. You can be 5'10", but have, like, like Martin St. Louis, have legs like fire hydrants, tree trunks, uh, and be a strong player and have hockey strength. And then you can be a small player and, and not have hockey strength and, and not be very strong. What side of the equation does, uh, does Phillips fit in on? Yeah, that's a very fair comment. I think you're 100% accurate about that, uh, Pete. I, the, uh, I mean, Phillips is not 5'10", 170 pounds. He's 5'7", 150 pounds. And, and who knows how accurate that actually is. Now, he's a really, really small guy. He looks like a kid on the ice. Um, but maybe that's played into, uh, you know, an advantage to him, which is that people kind of take him for granted and they take some of his strength um, or his hockey strength, as you say it, uh, for granted because he's a very, very strong skater and he's got um, the ability to be leaned on and actually still get a shot off. So he doesn't play small. Uh, he goes to danger areas. Uh, he's not afraid of going anywhere on the ice. He's not a perimeter player. Uh, he's just very, very good at turning pucks over and uh, creating a breakout the other way. Um, and he, he can pick apart defenses. So uh, I would say that he's he's small. He is in that legitimately small size. Um, but that doesn't necessarily preclude him from being able to translate his game both at the AHL level or at the international level or even at the NHL level. Yeah, as long as they can skate and and have good hands and, and hockey sense so that they can keep their head up and be elusive. I mean, you got to catch them to hit them. And if you can't track them down, then it doesn't matter. All right, let's put the switch and talk about some, uh, some Russian players in the series. And let's start with uh, Artem Manulin. Uh, you get to see him play in, uh, in the WHL a little bit as well. What, did you, uh, what do you like from him in, in what you've seen from the dub and in this series? Artem Manulin is kind of an interesting case because uh, he was passed over from his draft year last year, um, being an October birthday. So he was one of the older guys uh, and then got then got uh, not picked up, even though he got 50 points in 70 games for the Swift Current Broncos and um, played quite well in the playoffs for them. Um, there has always been the question of how quickly he closes gaps and how physically engaged he is for a guy who's 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, but there seems like there's just a little bit of a uh, transition. Uh, he looks much quicker to checks these days. He looks much quicker in open ice. Um, he really helped add uh, a level of stability to that second game uh from against the WHL when when Russia was um, actually competitive and won the game, um, and Artem Munulin, I think is he's one of those interesting cases where I think he's going to get drafted in 2018, and teams are going to look back on it and say, yeah, you know, he the guy made the World Juniors, he played a physical presence, he was an offensive player, um, he'll be a late pick in 2018, and they'll say, well, you know, maybe we should have taken him in 2017. All right, so let's talk about a couple players that have been drafted. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks in 2017 third round picked uh, Andre Altibermakin. And I'm saying that name wrong, so I'll call him AA. Uh, I really liked what I saw from him in the tournament. I thought he was a high-energy player, uh, created a lot of offense, 
pushed the pace of the play uh, and gave Russia some energy when they desperately needed it when, you know, the WHL was kind of pouring it on. He gave some pushback. Uh, he's undersized a little bit, 5'11", 183, a uh, player that you and I haven't had a lot of opportunity to see. So what did you like from his game that you saw? Yeah, not a lot of opportunity to see is correct because uh, he was a relative unknown to me going into the draft last year. And then when I saw that uh, he was taken by Chicago in the third round, even though I had seen the name before, um, I didn't know him. But, you know, with the Chicago's pedigree, um, that, you know, and Mark Kelly hit the director of amateur scouting there. They know what they're doing in Chicago. For them to take him as high as the third round, they saw something. Like, the kid can skate. He can shoot. Um, he's got that low center of gravity so he can get a shot off even though he's got somebody leaning on him. Uh, he's one of those players that creates a little bit of havoc out on the ice. And I could see him come on to the team for the World Juniors uh, and for them to take him because he's got the opportunity to score. Uh, he's got the opportunity to skate at the Canadian level and actually back up defenses. So I thought he showed very, very well. Um, and he's, again, he's one of those players that I think is just, he put himself on the radar and he's he's definitely going to be in consideration for that Russian squad. All right. The other one is uh, Mikhail Maltsev. He's a New Jersey Devils prospect. Uh, he's left winger. He's got some size, 6'3", 205. Uh, you saw some things in his game that stood out to you. What did you like? Yeah, I thought his his compete level was very, very high in, um, when they needed him to be. And he got the two goals in the game uh, that they needed to get them back in the series to be able to play against Canada. Uh, he's, like you said, he was a big guy. He took draws, so he was playing both parts of the middle, and he was taking uh, his... Um, shift on the wing as well too he could play along the boards he didn't look too slow uh, but he actually played a little bit of a power game so he had a little bit of that pushback so you know when I when I think about the Russians trying to get a little bit of size onto their roster as they tend to do because they tend to teams like look ahead and they say well we're going to have a matchup versus Canada and they've always got size and they're going to play tough when the Canadians and the Americans are both going to do this so we need to have a little bit of size on the roster and he was a very very good complimentary player so he's I think he's one of those players that the Russians could bring in and probably play him anywhere on one of their top four lines and he might be able to produce a little bit of offense but provide a little bit of a heavier game as well too. All right, so many more players we could talk about uh, from this series, and we're going to do just that in our final segment when we catch up with Brock Otten. But coming up first, we're going to take a break and then uh, do a little prospect spotlight with Vancouver Canucks prospect Cole Lind. Stick around for that. It's time for Prospect Spotlight, and the first installment of Drafted Prospect Spotlight is going to feature Vancouver Canucks prospect Cole Lind. Cole Lind of the Kelowna Rockets is having himself a phenomenal D-plus-1 season. He's got 31 points in 19 games with 11 goals. Ainsley, what is it you like about Cole Lind's game? Uh, well, I've always liked Colin's game. I had him uh, in the mid-second uh, this last year, or early second, or early twenties, I think, so like twenty-third or something like that. But uh, Colin, his game is really developing quite a bit, um, and he's showing a lot more power in his game uh, as opposed to just being a complimentary player. But what's really impressive about Colin's game is how he has 
the team has turned to him as an 18-year-old uh, to lead the Kelowna Rockets after them losing significant uh, players off of their roster that have gone pro, including Nick Merkley and Calvin Thurkoff and uh, Lucas Johansson. And so there's uh, Devontae Stevens. So there's a lot more uh, reliance upon him uh, to be an offensive leader. And all he's done is put up over a point and a half per game uh, and really become the focal point on offense for Cole Lind. He shoots the puck really well. He's got a big body. Uh, he's growing into it. He's learning how to be a pro. And he looks like, uh, for somebody who, that went 33rd overall, he's looking to be like a minor steal already at this point in the game. Uh, so for people, he's 12% owned in fan tracks, so there's a, a wide opportunity to pick him up if uh, if your league allows that. What, what do you think his uh, trajectory to the NHL is in terms of uh, timeline and uh, potential upside? Yeah, and that's probably one of the keys from a fantasy perspective with Cole Lind is that he's born October 16th, um, and so he was a really early birthday for the draft um you know really only missed the cutoff by a year so he's eligible to go into the ahl next year and i anticipate that he will go play for vancouver's farm club uh and so his transition to the nhl and with that team being in transition as well too and creating spots especially needing some size on that roster if he goes into the ahl next year as i expect him to and plays well he may get a look at the end of next year but we could be looking at, for sure, a two-year timeline from today uh, that we could reasonably expect for him to break into the NHL. That's that's not too long. That's a very reasonable time to wait on a player. And once he gets into the NHL, it really gives you some insight as to whether or not he's he's going to be worth holding on to or not. If if he just doesn't score in the AHL level, you don't want to pull the plug on him right away, but you know if you were on the fence about whether or not you were going to keep him, it's not like he's going to all of a sudden start scoring at a prolific rate and then have that show up on your fantasy roster. So um, no, and he's one. Of, yeah, I was going to say he's one of the interesting cases as well too, which is that um, you know a lot of guys go to the combine and then people look at the combine and they say, oh well, this guy's in really good shape, and they say, oh he's a good prospect. Colin went there and actually was a little bit under impressive from a physical stature at the combine from reports that I heard. But you can look at that the other way and say, you know what, the guy cut eighty-seven points in seventy games in his draft year, but he was not physically developed, even though he was tall and big. And then you get physically developed, and then you see the transition from that level of scoring to 31 points in 19 games. Uh, and if he's got another step to go as well, too, then that actually might raise his potential of being able to translate at the next level. He's got another gear. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be a shy player as well physically. He had almost 80 penalty minutes last year, and he's uh, he's a minor shy of, of 30 going into his 20th game this season as well. So he's no stranger to uh, throwing some, some weight around. All right, so that's Prospect Spotlight for this episode. Coming up next, we'll be uh, going back to the CHL Canada-Russia series and our conversation with OHL Prospect blog author Brock Otten. Stay tuned for that. Skills. 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 
crack, point blank, we vital. Spit flow, rip shows, peep the recital. Skills, now. You're listening to Dogger Prospects Radio with Peter Harling and Angel Scott, and we're joined now by OHL Prospects blog uh, creator and writer Brock Otten. Brock, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on podcast shows. Always love it. Yeah, yeah, I, I love your uh, I love your blog. It's uh, it's good stuff, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to contribute to the odd article, and uh, I appreciate uh, you contributing to our <coughs> prospects. So let's first talk a little bit about um, the topic du jour, which is the uh, Canada Russia Super Series that's going on right now. Uh, they're tonight as we're recording. It's uh, it's Tuesday the fourteenth, so they're in the queue now. The OHL series is all wrapped up. I assume you had a, a chance to take in those games. I did, yeah. Excellent. All right, so let's talk a little bit about a couple of the players. And uh, there was actually two OHL players on Team Russia, so let's let's start there. Uh, one player in particular I want to talk about is uh, Dmitry Sokolov. He's a polarizing player, I guess would be one way you could say it. He's a highly skilled player, uh, but there seems to be some red flags on the file. Um, he was able to uh, score an, uh, a point in, I believe it was an assist in the first game, if I remember correctly. Um, what uh, what was your what's your opinion on Sokolov? Is, is this a player like this is a fantasy prospect show? So is this a player that people who might be owning him or interested in owning him is is he going to translate to an NHL offensive player or are there too many red flags on his file? Well, if we're talking about him as a fantasy player in the future, I think he has to be owned. And if you're if you're looking at say deeper leagues or, or leagues that that collect prospects, um, because the potential is super high. Like you said, he's a, he's a very talented offensive player. Um, I think he's worked hard to, I don't know, if reduce is the correct word, but reduce some of the red flags in his profile. Uh, you know, I think the conditioning aspect is, is obviously better. You can see him working a little bit harder away from the puck. You can see that his skating has improved. Um, you know, and there's been lots of good stuff in the media from people who cover in Sudbury about how hard he's worked to get himself in better shape. Um, I, I think he had a pretty good showing in, in the two games in the Super Series. I think there was uh, probably the most effort that I've ever seen from him on the back check. There was a couple of really strong defensive plays that he made in those two games, and that's something you don't normally see from him. And if he could only translate that to playing both ways in the OHL, I think you'd see uh, his prospect status increased a little bit more than it currently is. Um, but I think he's a completely relevant prospect, and I think the potential is there for him to develop into an NHL goal scorer. I think, obviously, we'll find out more next year when he turns pro, but... Uh, yeah, I think he had a good series. He had two good, two good games, and I think he put himself on the map to earn a roster spot for Russia this year. That's an interesting. Yeah, the other... Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say it's an interesting point that you were mentioning regarding his uh, conditioning, because that's one knock that I heard about him early in his draft year. Um, going into it was one of the reasons why he dropped. Uh, sort of a bowling ball shaped player, but uh, has if he's dedicated his fitness and used his line mates a little bit more. Uh, that was always a concern when I had seen him in his first uh, cam- or first Canada-Russia series uh, was in the WHL here, and he seems kind of a one-man show, um, carrying the puck a lot by himself and then waiting to uh, just get a one-timer or get a shot off kind of thing. Is he is he more than just a shooter at this point? Like, is he involved more of his game that he he's more of a one-trick, more than a one-trick pony at this point? 
No, I, I think you've got him pegged pretty well. I think he is pretty much a north-south type of player. Um, I think you, you, what you see is what you get. Uh, drive the net, shoot the puck. I mean, he keeps the game pretty simple. And I think the vision component of his game is something that will probably continue to lack as he moves forward, maybe even more so as the game picks up pace, pace uh, as he goes to the pro level next year. But he shoots the puck extremely well. He has very good scoring instincts. And, um, you know, he's very hard to separate from the puck once he gets moving forward. And there's a place for players like that if, if he can improve his play away from the puck. And I think that's going to be the key for his development. Because if he can do that, he can probably be, uh, you know, a pretty solid second-line winger, maybe a secondary power play guy, 25-goal scorer. Not going to be... A contributor of both ends not going to be playing maker, but I think there's lots of guys who who make a living in the NHL doing just that. So, yeah, the, yeah, goal scoring is at a premium in the NHL. So if if he can translate scoring goals to the pro level, then um, you know they'll, they'll, they'll be willing to look the other way for some of his other deficiencies. The other Russian player uh, from the O on Team Russia is Alexei Lepanov, Tampa Bay Lightning draft pick. He's all, they're both 7% owned, both these guys. Um, how, how has Lepanov looked this year? Uh, he's playing for the Barry Colts with, uh, with Sveshnikov. Sveshnikov has been out now for a couple of weeks with the broken wrist, and he's going to be gone for a little bit longer. Is, is the Sveshnikov injury maybe... Uh, maybe a blessing in disguise and that people will see that if he can produce points with and without Svechnikov, or is he going to just, this is, that's just silly. He's going to miss obviously playing with a talented player like that. Um, I think you have to look at as going to miss everybody on Barry's going to miss playing with him. He's, he's a phenomenal player. You can't replace him. Um, I think it does give Svechnikov to put himself more in the limelight on a very strong team that could continues to win even without Sveshnikov in the lineup. Um, and I think that's a surprise to a lot of people for the OHL. I think there was the expectation that Barry would improve, but to the point that they have so far is incredibly surprising. And a lot of that has to do with bringing in guys like Sveshnikov, drafting Ryan Suzuki, and bringing in Lepanov. And I think he's, he's a very solid player, very smart player. They're the guy that has excellent vision and a very well-rounded player too. Um, works the wall really, really well and has really good vision coming off the wall. Doesn't turn the puck over a lot in, in the offensive end. And I think that's why he sees a lot of success in the OHL level um, this year, even as a rookie. Usually there's a bit of a transition period, but uh, he's done his look great. And um, I think that was just a really, uh, I don't want to say Barry was lucky because he got last year's in coming over. Um, but uh, it's definitely accelerated their rebuild a lot. Uh, they've got both him and Sveshnikov on the land. Yeah, he's a player that uh, when I watched him last year and I was scouting him, Brock, I, I found that there were some similarities to a player like Thomas Placanek a little bit, which is that he is a very good defensive player. Uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a good skater. He's an agile skater. He moves the puck very well. He sees the ice very well. But he seems to be always the first forward back in a defensive situation where he he supports his uh the defenseman and the breakout very quickly in the transition game um and then he can complement a power play as well too right so uh he he's one of those players that i i think he's got a pro style game if he can 
uh, learn to adjust to the sort of the physical grind of what it's going to take to play in North America? Oh, I would agree 100%. Uh, and I think that's been part of Barry's success this year is they're getting a lot of defensive contributions from their forwards, not just their defense. They play a really strong team defensively. That's one major reason. Like you said, consistently one of the best in the league, one I've seen so far this year, at uh, taking pucks off of uh, forwards on the back check. Um, kind of sneaky that way. He doesn't have that top-end speed, like you said, but he's so smart. Um, always seems to make the right play both ends of the ice, not just defensively, but offensively as well. And uh, I think, like you said, Placanich is probably a pretty good comparison. They're pretty similar types of players. Um, very well-rounded and play a pro-style game. Brock, another player I'm, I've been wanting to talk to you about, and you played for Team OHL, uh, and this is a player that uh, I brought up on, on a recent episode, is uh, Owen Sound attack defenseman Sean Dersey. He's tearing up the league this year. He's the OHL leading scorer for defensemen. Uh, he's now at 30 points in 18 games with 11 goals, which is just great. He's a 19-year-old undrafted player. What can you tell me about uh, Jersey? Uh, maybe why he wasn't drafted, and um, does does he have an NHL future? Is, is this a player that people are going to want to put on their their fantasy watch list? So Jersey's obviously an interesting case, like you said. Um, if you look at the stats in the second half of last year, he's one of the higher scoring defensemen in the second half. So this is just sort of a continuation and ends from what he did in the second half of the playoffs last year, and obviously with some graduations like Centino Centurami. Um, he's had more of a chance to play on the power play and play in all situations for the attack, and they've got a very talented offensive team. Uh, he's more just a support character, though. He really has taken up both this year, I think. We're seeing a lot more confidence as a puck rusher, uh, not just the type of guy who's a good for pass, but is leading the attack and jumping up in the play when he needs to. Um, He's a he's a good skater. Uh, I would say he's an elite skater, but he's a good skater. He makes very good decisions with puck. Um, he doesn't have elite size, but he's kind of wide. He has that sort of Dermot body, um, kind of stocky. Does a good job angling forwards off uh, to the wall off the rush. Um, that's obviously his strength defensively. I think the main question mark, and probably why he wasn't drafted last year, is where does he fit in as an NHL player? Right? Is he even though he's putting up huge numbers, is that going to translate to NHL level? Is he going to be an offensive defenseman? Is he going to be good enough to be you know, uh, a stay-at-home guy? Is he going to be good enough to be a two-way guy? Uh, I think that's probably the big question moving forward. Kind of average across the board to above average, but not elite in any area. And when you're undersized uh, as a defenseman, I feel like, I wouldn't say as a kiss of death, I think it's, it's definitely... Um, it definitely prevents you from being a high draft pick. And I think that's what Jersey is going to go through. Uh, I think he'll end up being, if he continues the way he has, and I think he looked great in the one game that he played in the Super Series. I think he had a couple turnovers, but overall, I think he played a pretty strong game. And so he fits in with, with the best that the OHL has to offer in terms of prospects. And I think scouts are, are definitely warming up to him. Um, and I think he'll end up getting after this year. I don't think it'll be maybe as high as some people are suggesting. I've seen some stuff on social media recently saying, oh, this guy should be 
you know, a first or second round pick the way that he's lighting up the league. But I think people need to realize that, you know, he's put in a situation where he's on a very strong offensive team um, and he's got a lot of support, very strong uh, partner. And that's going to breed some success, and especially as a 98 as well. Um, but, uh, you know, he's that guy that's, that's worth consideration of Angel Jap this year. He, he's improved a lot. I think we're seeing... Um, not a, a blue chip prospect, but I think a guy that that's worth thinking if we're talking about as a fantasy player moving forward. Okay, before we let you go, uh, I kind of wanted to mention uh, you've got an article coming out pretty soon. The uh, top ten draft eligible, speaking of the draft, draft eligible rankings for the OHL, uh, and you get a whole bunch of different people from the media to contribute to that. Um, so I think the the, the top of the list. Uh, maybe we can all scratch off Sveshnikov. We know he's going to be at the top of the list. Who are some other players that you're looking uh, at a little bit further down that might be a little bit uh, more off the radar? Maybe like a, a Ryan Merkley, maybe. Uh, what's your take on uh, on some of these prospects that aren't at the very, very top of the list? Who do you like? Well, in the OHL this year, it's interesting because you mentioned scratching off Sveshnikov, and he's obviously the top player from the OHL, and that has zero chance of changing at this point, at least in my opinion. And you've got a lot of guys that are probably fitting into that, you know, mid-first to late-first round consideration. You know, you mentioned Ryan Merkley, Akil Thomas, um, Barrett Hayden, Ty Galandria. These are all guys that sort of fit into that range. There's some warts to their game, maybe not the best skater, not the biggest. Potential might not be the highest if you look at a guy like maybe Alan McShane, right? Um, but they're still solid prospects. And I think the my favorite of that group is still Akil Thomas. I think he's he's got great character. He's already wearing a letter in Niagara. Um, he's worked hard to improve a lot of his deficits that we saw last year as a rookie. Uh, I think his skating looks a lot big, uh, better. He's playing a lot better without the puck. Uh, looks better defensively making smarter decisions with the puck. And I, I think he profiles as a really solid first or second line player that's going to play a long time in the NHL. I think he's got a very pro-style game. Um, I think some of the other guys, like Ryan Merkley, I think there's going to be some fear that he's a Ryan Murphy type of player. There's a lot of red flags defensively when you look at Merkley. Um, the body language sometimes, if you watch him play, Sometimes he'll he'll make a really bad turnover in the offensive end and just coast back to the defensive end. And that's the type of stuff that I think is going to drive scouts crazy. And it's why we're already seeing a lot of vision when it comes to, to Merkley. You know, is he going to be over able to overcome <clears throat> some of those defensive deficiencies to be an NHL player? And that's not always the case. He is talented they may be, and Ryan Murphy is a perfect example of that. Um, so the NHL doesn't really have I don't think a, a blue chip after Svechnikov this year. I think we've got a good collection of talent. There might still be you know, six or seven first-rounders from that group, but it, it's going to be interesting to see, and the opinions vary um, after Svechnikov, and that, that'll be evident on the list when I release it, that there's going to be a wide variance of opinion as to who that second-best player is, whether it's Barrett Hayden, whether it, uh, even Evan Bouchard is another guy that, that has gotten some votes from the list that I've received so far. Um, off the top of my head, there's five different votes for the second player 
uh, from the OHL behind Sveshnikov. So the parity is there. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, Peter, if you yeah. don't, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask Brock a question about a player um, that both played in the uh, Canada Russia series for the OHL and is also uh, draft eligible this year. Who's a big hulking defenseman for the Ottawa 67s, Kevin Ball, uh, who um, was he actually scored a goal in the series, uh, but he he also is. Uh, one of those maybe a little bit of a throwback type of player because he's so big. And I think about other guys that have come out of the OHL recently, like Logan Stanley and Nick Haig on the back end as well, too. And I'm just wondering whether Kevin Ball is a guy that might sneak up uh, on people's draft lists because he, you know, he's that intriguing package of he's got a good shot in the size. I think without question. And I'm glad you asked about him uh, because I was going to mention him with the Super Series. I think he actually played fantastic in the game that he played in the second game of the series. But he was one of the better defenders on the ice, which is uh, a testament to his abilities as a player and the improvements that he's made um, you know, in the year and a third that he's played in the league. I thought he was better than Evan Bouchard, quite frankly, uh, for comparing draft-eligible guys. Uh, like you said, he's, uh, he's a big physical guy, and that's something that he's really gaining confidence in. Um, as the year moves on, we're starting to really see him take the body and be a very difficult player to match up against. And offensively, he has an underrated skill set. He plays um, the power play in Ottawa, kind of similar to the way that Boston uses Zidane Chara. They'll play him in front of the net, and they'll kind of rotate him around to the back end sometimes, um, playing the point, kind of shifts in and out of the slot. Um, it's very interesting the way they utilize him. He has, a, like I said, a very interesting skill set. His his uh, I believe the character puck is, is underrated. And uh, he has pretty decent overall mobility for a big man, too. I think he's a very interesting prospect. Quite frankly, if I think back to their year, if I'm comparing Logan Stanley to Kevin Ball, I think I would prefer Kevin Ball at this point. And I think he's going to be a guy that if he can continue to progress offensively and continue to showcase his abilities as a physical player and shutdown defender, I think he's going to be a candidate for the first round at the end of the year. Like you said, uh, both types of defenders, they're, they're not as common as they used to be. All right. Uh, so you can find uh, Brock on his blog at OHL Prospects, and you can also find him uh, on t- the Tweet Machine at Brock Otten. Uh, give him a follow. He's good stuff. Anywhere else we can find your writing, Brock? Do you have any scouting or writing for anyone else? Uh, a sprinkling here and there, sometimes some McKean stuff, um, uh, Biscuit.ca, some stuff on there too. Um, yeah, just a sprinkling down everywhere. I'm everywhere. Yeah, we'll have to get you in on, on Dauber Prospects a little bit, a little bit more frequently maybe in the future. All right, right on. All right, thanks for coming on, Brock. Uh, we'll see you in the rink, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Take care.